Well, tonight we're going to continue our study of Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I started the proverb, I guess, a couple of weeks, Lord's Day, back. And I told you that each time that I'm able to be here on Sunday evening, we would just continue to work through the proverb, gleaning its rules and principles so that we might live a very wise and prudent life. And beloved, I'm going to read the whole chapter in your hearing, and let's ask for the Lord's blessing. And our blessed Lord, we come now to the reading and explanation of your word, and we ask for light, understanding. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would Fill our hearts, Lord, with your spirit of truth that you would uh, open our spiritual eyes. Give us that discernment we need, Lord, so that we can render proper judgments of matters, of cases, Lord, even of personalities and people and circumstances. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your filling Lord, we need to walk with you along the way so that we can all be wise men and women. And Lord, that we can live in a way that is pleasing in your sight. That's our goal. That's our desire, Lord. That's the love of our heart is to serve you and love you to our fullest. And we pray tonight we would learn how to do that, that we would take this portion of your word and drink deeply from its truths it has for us this evening. And we pray, O oh Lord, that the end result and the fruit of it would be a thankfulness for this treasure that you have so given to us called your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Please follow along with me. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of injustice. He preserves the way of his godly ones. And then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. For the man who speaks perverse things from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Beloved, tonight we're going to focus on verse nine uh, and probably all the way down to verse 19. I think I can get through uh, that many verses tonight if I um, am diligent to move along quickly. However, what I want to talk to you about tonight and what I want to impress upon us all is that the Christian life, now listen, the Christian life is a life of wisdom and prudence and discretion. That's the Christian life. 
It's the life that is the life of uh, the Holy Spirit, the filling up of the Holy Spirit. As Proverbs 1 tells us that to understand or uh, to um, to know wisdom, verse 2, and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive and to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge." And fools despise wisdom and instruction. Beloved, we must be, as professing Christians, we must work at and strive at being wise. It is wisdom and discretion that aids us in moving through this life with this with, with as few bumps and bruises as possible spiritually. Now, we are fallen sinners. We are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has washed us. He has made us clean. He has put his spirit in us. He has rewritten the word of God on our hearts. He's opened our eyes to see and to understand. And yet we need to know and understand what that looks like and what those benefits are. And that's what we're going to discuss particularly tonight, beginning at verse nine. I want to go over these words with you one more time and then get into those in the way that wisdom guards every Christian from the seduction of evil. Evil is seductive and sinners are evil. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. Look at verse nine. When you, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. The verse starts out telling us that there is a time for this to take place. Then you will. We won't go back over all of the things we learned the last time about having the keys to unlocking these things, but you can go back and listen to that sermon if you wish to. There will be a time and place when these things come to fruit in our lives. And the verse 9 tells us that when that happens, we will, right, you will discern what? Righteousness. Justice, equity, in every good course. What does it mean to discern? Well, discern means to separate, to distinguish between one thing and another. And we must do that in this life. We must learn as Christians to discern biblically and properly. If we are not able to discern, then we're going to have a really hard time in this world because there are seducers. Sin is seductive. Sin is seductive. Our flesh is seductive. We can convince ourselves and talk ourselves into just about anything, and we need to be able to discern even our own sinful inclination so that we can continue to walk with God faithfully and put to death those sinful, evil desires that rise up in our hearts, our minds on a daily basis. So it means to distinguish, to discriminate. I know that's a word that's falling on hard times in our, in our day, but we ought to be discriminate. We need to discriminate between that which is good and that which is evil. We need to understand the differences of what is good and what is bad, what is true and what is false. Now notice the second word, righteousness. What is that? Righteousness has to do with the rectitude of life. We might call it integrity. Integrity. We want to be men and women of integrity. We want to have a upright life. That's the picture. We want to conform ourselves to the holy standard of God's word. That's what it means to, to be righteous, that we are 
conforming ourselves to the right standard which is found in the Word of God. Our third word is the word justice. Justice is that which is fair. It's a fair representation of the facts. Okay? A fair representation of the facts. We need to be just in our criticisms. We need to be just in our description of things. We need to be just in dealing with one another. We need to be just when we deal with both friends and enemies. And that's a very hard thing to do. In fact, in the days of the Reformation, the Westminster Confession of Faith actually, actually had to address the idea that if you were a Christian, you could actually deceive an unbeliever because that's what the Catholic Church taught. It was okay. It was not a sin to deceive an unbeliever. Well, our Reformed Father says, no, it's a sin to deceive anyone. And so they were addressing this immoral teaching among the professing people of God, and they had to correct that mindset. And I think there are some Christians that are professing Christians that have that mindset today that we can just, if we don't agree with somebody, we can, mis, we can you know, misjudge them. It's okay. Well, we don't want to do that. We want to be careful in our discrimination. We want to be right. We want to be just. And then notice the word equity. Equity means to be equal. It needs, means to be even are level, impartial, if you will. It's impartial to the things that are right. And you think about when you see, when you, as we hear these terms and as we think of these definitions of these terms and we're thinking, you know, yeah, it's exactly what we need to be. We are those who profess the name of the living God and Jesus as our Savior, and we ought to be just, we ought to be fair, we ought to be an equitable people. We shouldn't get, it should never be a true accusation, beloved, if we treat people like the world treats people, right? You know, the whole council culture thing because they are not agreed with in their politics and in their delight to sin, they want to abuse and embarrass and shame anyone who disagrees with them. That's not just, that's not equitable, right? We don't want to be that way. We don't want to be like that. And then notice the phrase good course equity and every said then you will discern righteousness right justice and equity and every good course this good course i taught you last time is the oh, that well trodden path that all of god's people have walked before us there's one way of righteousness. There's not many. There's not many. There's one. And all of God's children walk that path. So the path that you and I are walking today is a well-trodden path. It's the path of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the path of Moses and David. It's the path of Paul, Matthew, and Peter, it's, it's the path of all of God's people throughout history. This is the path they have walked. This is the path we must walk. And our children and our grandchildren must also walk that path. That's why we teach. That's why we educate. That's why we disciple them. That's why we catechize them. That's why we raise them up in our most holy religion. Why is that? So that they may walk this path. This, what does the Bible call it? The good course. This is the good way. You know, there's a difference between indoctrination and discipleship. And I don't want to 
be too picky over words, but I hear a lot of Christians, you know, comment about we need to indoctrinate our children. Now, I'm all for teaching the children doctrine. But indoctrination has a negative connotation to it. It sort of means you're going to tell somebody what they're going to believe. They don't have to think about it. All they need to do is regurgitate what you tell them, and they're indoctrinated. And as long as they regurgitate it, then they are okay. Well, hopefully that's not what we believe. We don't believe in indoctrination. We believe in discipling. We want to teach our children how to think. We want to, now, when you look at these words, right? Righteousness, justice, equity, and this good path. Notice, notice how heavily moral these terms are, ethical these terms are. This is the good way, certainly implying a standard. Whenever you hear the word good, it's implying some standard, and we have to ask the question, what standard or whose standard? Well, of course, we're talking about God's standard, not man's. So we want to educate our children. We want to disciple our children. We want to raise them up in the way they should go, but we want to teach them primarily how to recognize it, how to see it, and how to get on that path and how to stay on that path and not exit to the right or to the left, right? That's why the gospel is so important. We heard this testimony this evening, did we not, about what it was to become familiar with the gospel and confident in sharing the gospel and and showing someone the way of salvation. That's part of this. Psalm 23 and verse 3, the psalmist David says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Look at verse 15 of Proverbs 2. Notice the contrast here of paths. Look at the path of the wicked, whose path, this is the path of the immoral. What does it say about the path of the immoral? It's crooked. The paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, their habits. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Look at verse 18 of the immoral woman. Her path and her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead again Solomon is laying before us there is only one good path for the righteous to be on all of these other paths are dangerous they're deceptive and they're deadly they're deadly I don't ever want to give you the impression that you can live in this world, ignore God, and still uh, think that somehow you're going to leave this life and debate your way into heaven. It's never going to happen. You're not going to debate your way into heaven if you do not accept the only way to God, which is through his son, Jesus Christ, and repent of your sins and receive him as your savior and rest in his work as your own, you're never going to go. That's the only acceptable way for anyone to see or to have eternal life. All these other paths are destructive and deadly. We could even add to that that these other paths do nothing but promote misery and sorrow. Misery and sorrow. When you watch these factions and these people uh, on the news in their rioting, in their rebellion, in their immorality, they don't look happy. Why? They're not. They're not happy. They're angry. They're bitter. They, they, they're, they're full of misery. And all they can do is lash out and claw and kick and, and scream at the world around them that is moral and righteous. They hate it. They don't want nothing to do with it. They want to kill it. They want to put it away from them. They want to get rid of it. And they hate it because they can't do that because this is God's world. 
This is God's world. So now we get into these benefits, beloved, how wisdom guards us from the seduction of wickedness and are, <clears throat> are that of sinners. Now notice in these categories, beginning at verse 10, what I want to point out to you is all of them are immoral. All of the ones being described in verse 10 and following are immoral. That is, they are, they are uh, entrenched, entrenched in breaking God's law, in, in, in breaking God's law and being the opposite of what God's law requires, which is what? Integrity, uprightness, righteousness. Look at verse 10. Notice as he begins to list to us in verse 10 what we must be in order to be the beneficiaries of this protection and God's guarding of us. We must first of all, beloved, in verse 10, we must be lovers of God. Lovers of God. We talked about that this morning, did we not? For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That's described someone who's in love with God, who is impassioned with God. A lover of God will love the truth of God. The love of God comes first. To love God is to love his truth, it's to love his word, it's to love his laws, his commandments. That's why David could say, I love, oh, how I love thy law. He could say it without reservation because he loved God and he loved God and he loved God's ways and God's laws point to the ways of God. It opens up the will of God. The will of God is to lay forth what God desires for you and I to be as his sons and daughters. How we should live, how we should treat one another, how we should worship, how should we work. I heard a man say one time who, who lived up in Amish country. And um, he was given the Amish praise. He said, you know, they have these fabulous um, manufacturing plants up there. I mean, some of you may have purchased some Amish furniture and, you know, it's, it's known for its quality. And he said that in discourse with one of the owners of these manufacturing plants was that he didn't even have a time clock. He had no way of these Amish workers to punch in or out when they come to work or when they leave. He said, I don't have to. He said, if, if they're to be there at 8 o'clock, they're there at 8 o'clock. He, he said, you know, if, if they're five minutes uh, late, they work five minutes over. He says, you don't have to watch them. He said, they are, are, are strict about giving you all of the time that you pay for. And, of course, we would all believe that that is a, a tremendous, right, uh, virtue, but that ought to be said about us, too right? Why should it just be said about them and not Christians? You see, beloved, we must learn to be men and women of integrity and, and we must take our lives and our habits seriously. Verse 10 gives us the, uh, verse 10 Beloved, shows us the way. We must be lovers of God. Knowledge, wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It is satisfying. Verse 10 is what we would call a causal verse. It's causal because when we are lovers of God, lovers of Christ, his word and truth, then these benefits that follow, are they belong to us. They are ours. Notice verse 11. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Psalm 12 and verse 7 
The psalmist writes, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation. That the, that the Lord is the preserver of those who are his. Psalm 25 and verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. That is, beloved, when our hearts are filled with that adoration, that honor, that, 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 that deep affection for God, we benefit because as God is our Father, He begins to watch over us and take care of us. And how does He do that? He does that by heightening our senses, filling our minds and our hearts with wisdom and discretion. He gives it to you. He opens up the Word of God and helps you understand it. He gives you that divine light needed to make use of the Word of God. Remember what Paul said in the New Testament when he said, there are people who are always studying and never coming to the knowledge of truth. Why? Because they're evil. They're unrighteous. They don't love God. They may only want to study the Bible as a philosophy book or uh, uh, some, uh, you know, it's a religious book. So let's rub it and get the most out of it and just pray for God's blessings. And God doesn't work that way. And God will not work that way. He's not the divine dispenser of heaven who's just casting out blessings because we ask these blessings are particular and they belong to a particular people. It belongs to those who have their hearts filled with satisfaction for God's truth and for him. Psalm 25 and verse 21, the same psalm. Let integrity and righteousness preserve me, the psalmist says, for I wait for you. The psalmist knows who's the one preserving him when, how, as he walks through this world that's full of sin. When you say, well, our world is definitely full of sin. Well, it was full of sin in David's time too. It's always since the fall been full of sin. Go all the way back to Genesis 6. What does, what's the testimony of our holy God about the world? When he looked down upon humanity, he says, it is evil continually. Their hearts are full of evil continually. And what did he decide to do about it in order to preserve the church? He decided to bring a worldwide flood. That's how, that's how evil it was. He decided to start over with Noah and his family. So this is a, it's not a sort of a trivial matter, is it not? I mean, just like we looked at the end of the, end of the chapter in verse 22, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. You could definitely say that happened in the flood. That it came, became so evil, God had to cut them off from the land. The, the Canaanites were so evil that God had to uproot them out of the land. Uh, the sins, um, all the, listen, the sins that the Canaanites were guilty of right now, that may change next week, were greater evil and darkness than the sins we see in our own day. But we're going there. We're heading there. It, we're not far away. But, and there's movement to it. But the sins that the Canaanites participated in were very dark. And God had to uproot them out of the land. And so this is that backdrop, if you will, as Solomon's writing this proverb for God's people in order to train up his son and children and Christians in being wise and discerning. Look at verse 12. He says, well, verse 11, discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. 
I mean, I guess the first question we should ask ourselves about verse 10 and verse 11 is, are these things pleasant to my heart? Do I, do I take delight in them? Do I spend time meditating upon these things? How do I prove that my, that my mouth is accurate of my heart? When I say I love God and I love his word, how do my actions prove that? If I'm not reading it, I'm not meditating on it, I'm not memorizing, I mean, if I'm not spending time with it, if I'm not doing anything with it outside of when the preacher is preaching, I hold it in my lap and flip some pages. If I'm not doing all of these other things, how do I convince myself or God that I love him and love his word? We have to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves. Verse 12, notice the benefit here. He's deliver, we, to deliver you, that's the, the whole purpose of being wise and to be discerning from every way of evil. Now, the word deliver means to be rescued. It may be that you may find yourself caught in a situation. You may find yourself in a business agreement that someone lied to you or you found out there's some things going on that you're not, you know, happy about and you find yourself trapped and you need to be able to have discernment to get out of that. It could be a business agreement. It could be a living arrangement with roommates and whatnot. I mean, it could be any number of ways of which we have to deal with people. But when we find ourselves entrapped Wisdom and discretion will deliver us, okay? From what? Well, from the evil way. It could be the path, or it could also mean habits. There is a, a habit that evil uh, people have, and it, it's sort of uh, untrustworthiness, if you will. They're not trustworthy. You have to really discern and parse everything they say you have to really scrutinize it why because they are deceiving or they are deceitful and deceiving in their schemes proverbs 8 in verse 13 the fear of the lord is to hate evil pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth i hate Notice this, deliver us from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. A perverse mouth is an evil way. It's someone on the evil way. It's someone practicing what we would call evil habits. And the Lord takes no delight in a perverse mouth. Proverbs 10, verse 31, the mouth of the righteous flows wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Now, that's graphic. That's a, a, a picture for us to imagine how the Lord might cut out the evil tongue. He hates it so much. We don't want that, do we? Proverbs 10, verse 32, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverted? Well, acceptable in what way? Who is, who is the one that determines what's acceptable? Well, God does, his word. A perverted mouth is one that doesn't speak the truth or speak the truth kindly, right? I, I want to say that. We can be harsh in our judgments and criticism, overly harsh, we can say right things in all the wrong way. That's perverted. That's perverted. That demonstrates a degree of hatred. If we are embittered against somebody and we judge them harshly, then we are guilty of being angry at them. That's a breaking of the sixth commandment. That's what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5. We don't have to take out a gun and put a bullet in someone to be guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. We can hate them by speaking perverse things about them. Jesus says that too is murdering your neighbor. 
wisdom and discernment, beloved, will deliver you from that person who has a perverse mouth. And that's not the only thing. Notice, notice uh, the immoral woman. Turn to the end of the psalm. Look at uh, verse 16. Notice how she too uses her perverse mouth who deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who what? Flatters with her words. That too is a perverse mouth. Why? Why is that? Why is flattery uh, perverse? Well, the word means to divide. Flattery means to divide. What she's trying to do is to divide her victim either from his religion or from his truth or from his wife. She's trying to separate him from those things that might hold him true to righteousness and and morality. She's trying to separate him under that. She's flattering. She's perverting him with her words by trying to convince him to sin with her. To flatter someone, beloved, the Bible says it's not a good thing. Typically, we're even lying when we do it because we don't even believe it. We're just doing it to to cause that person to think a certain way about us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't give compliments. Your mama may have taught you if you don't have anything good to say, well, don't say it at all. And that's not a bad rule in its place. But when we flatter people to, uh, to, to gain something from them, to separate, that's evil. That's evil. We, we want to flatter someone because we want them to do something for us. We want them to give us something. Or we want them to overlook something, right? We want them to turn a blind eye, if you will, to our actions and to our deeds and whatnot, and therefore we flatter them in order to separate them from doing the right thing. So that's flattery. Wisdom and discernment will preserve us not only from the evil way or those habits, but from the one who speaks perverse things. Verse 13, you can say, this person is immoral and his mouth is the one that tells us or shows us that he's immoral. I could have taken, um, uh, opened up the confession of faith and looking at what the ninth commandment requires. And it's all about preserving the truth. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and the promoting of truth between man and man. And the good name of our neighbor as well as our own appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice, particularly in court, particularly in courts and only the truth and in all other things whatsoever, charitable esteem for our neighbors, loving, desiring, rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, and a ready receiving of a good good report and an unwillingness to admit to an evil report, something that's not substantiated. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells his accusers who were accusing him of being in league with Satan. He warned them. He said, do you not know that we, that man will be judged by every word that comes from their mouth? Now, beloved, I know we shudder in fear when we hear such things and we're convicted when we see the scripture speak so strongly against the perversity of the tongue, because I, I believe I'm safe saying that we have all been guilty of these things and are guilty from time to time of these things. The difference is, beloved, we do it and we 
hate it and we, we, we recognize it, we discern it and we confess it as what it is. It's sin. It's perverse. It's unacceptable in God's sight. He hates it and I hate it and I hate it when I do it and I need to repent of it. And I need to ask my neighbor to forgive me and, and, and to forgive me for what I said to you. I, 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 I was too harsh when I spoke to you and judged you. Would you forgive me? Please forgive me. So it protects us against the one that has a perverse mouth. In verse 13, he says, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Verse 13 is speaking about the apostate. Notice it's, it preserves us. That is, we become wise and discerning and we're able to discern and judge between those who have left this path that we're on. They've left it. They've turned their back on it. They walked away from that which is good and now accepts that which is dark and evil. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 16. Jeremiah says, I will pronounce my judgment, being the prophet speaking for God. He says, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their hands. What was God saying to his people through Jeremiah? You've turned your back on me and now you are worshiping other gods. You're apostate. You've exchanged gods. You're doing what's right in your own eyes. You remember that all the way back into the garden. What, did, what was the, the very root of Adam and Eve's sin? They turned their back on God and accepted themselves as their own God, their own standard of living, and they rejected God's. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than live by his word. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What is, again, God saying through the prophet? You've exchanged the true and living God for nothing. For nothing. You drank from solid cisterns and I gave you living water and you've exchanged that for pots with holes in it, cracks for nothing. Well, that's the apostate. Beloved, wisdom and discretion will preserve you from the way of apostasy and the apostate. It will help you discern and see and judge and, and, and criticize what you need to do and how you need to avoid that temptation. Verse 14, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. This is, a, notice the degree that the psalm, uh, the psalmist, but the, the Solomon, the proverbial father, notice the degree in which he's teaching his son and teaching us. These, these, this path that we're on looking at this immoral way seems to be increasing, doesn't it? It seems to become becoming darker and darker, if you will. Now at verse 14, we're talking about those who not only do evil, they celebrate it. They celebrate evil. Jeremiah chapter 11. You, you, I wrote down the whole the, the chapter just because there's so much in that whole chapter. But notice, I'm just going to read verse 13 for you. Your gods are as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem. 
are the altars you have set up to this shameful thing. Altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Can the sacrificial flesh take away from you your disaster so that you can rejoice? Now, beloved, this is... Wisdom and discretion will preserve us from those who have become so hardened in their sin, they not only practice it, they rejoice in it. They don't hide it. They're beyond hiding it. They're not shamed about it. We have seen this vividly in all of the abortion uh, or the pro-life protests. They celebrate murder. They celebrate evil. They celebrate the killing of the unborn. They delight in it. It reminds me of of Romans chapter 1. And Paul gives that list of, of sins and those degrations, if you will. Notice verse uh, 32, he says, And though, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. No, their heart delights not only... When they do it, they delight to watch you do it. That's how evil they are. They rejoice. The word there, when it talks about the rejoice in the perversity of evil, it's they rejoice in misery. They take great, they take great um, celebration in being miserable. Have you ever heard that? saying, misery loves company. And there's an application to that here. That is, not only do they love to do that evil and celebrate it, they want, to, they want others to do it with them so they can celebrate their own destruction. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Let me read that again. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But counselors of peace have joy. Only God's children, those who love him and love the truth and love his word and love his precepts, love his statutes, love his ordinances, love his ways, they have joy. Not those who practice evil, those who practice darkness, those who practice wickedness. Verse 15, he talks about these paths and he says, these paths are crooked. Now, what is a crooked path? A crooked path is the opposite of a good path, a good, straight, sturdy path. The crooked path takes the immoral person all over the place. He's all over the place. He says, those paths are crooked, or whose paths are crooked, rather, and who are devious in their ways. Now, when it talks about, notice you you have two clauses. The first clause deals with this crookedness, the opposite of good. The second path speaks to the path that is known to the deceivers, the devious. It's just like there's a path for the righteous and you know what to expect of it, there's a path for the wicked and you know what you're getting when you're there. Here's what I mean by this, brothers and sisters. We should not be surprised when people, we should not be surprised when people who delight in even the small sins begin committing the bigger sins. Why does it surprise us? There is a path for the wicked. And that path is well trodden. And who's who's on that path? Cain. 
Cain, Laban, Og, Saul, King Saul, these men who strained at righteousness and wouldn't have none of it, they are on this path, Judas. And if you if you live like them, you will reap their reward. Just like if you live like the righteous and like the righteous, constrain your heart to the living and true God. Remember what I said this morning, making that profession of faith and then conforming your life to that profession, working to conform to that reality, making sure you pray, you study, you, 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 you call upon God and you're constantly being conformed to that standard that you confess to be true, right, and good. There's a path for that. And all of the ones that find eternal life have been on that path. And if that's what we want, then that's the path we have to walk. And that path, if we walk that path with that integrity of our heart, that love for wisdom and prudence, guess what? We are in a major way protected from this evil way. Because you can see it. You can discern it. You can, you can, you know, even when it comes dressed up, you can discern what's good and what's, well, let me put it this way. It's like what's goodish, <laughs> almost good, almost right. It's so close, but it's not. It's not. Proverbs 5, verse, 20, uh, verse 21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. Isaiah 59 and verse 8, they do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks or their paths, and they have made their paths crooked Whoever treads on them does not know peace. How many people do we know? Maybe they've professed Christ. Maybe they have professed Christ at one time and they just seem to, like the proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. But they tell us they're happy. I'm okay. I'm good. And we know they're broken. We know more about them than they know about themselves, and we'll admit it. We know they're broken. We know they're miserable. And all we can do is pray for them because they are deceived, and they believe they're happy. They are so accustomed to their wicked ways, they know nothing else. The righteous are not like that. Yes, we may find ourselves in a condition where we are shamed and full of guilt because of some season of sin. But what do we do, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves in that moment? We, our hearts confess it. We confess it in our hearts. We confess it with our mouths. We cry to God for cleansing and repentance to wash us and make us clean. Like David said, wash me with hyssop, O Lord. Wash me and make me clean. Do such a work in my heart, as I mentioned earlier today, that I would teach sinners your way. Change me in such a way. Cleanse me in such a way. Do such a work of grace in me that I would be able to stand before other sinners and teach your ways. Verse 16, probably as it deals with the adulterous woman I mean, if there's a sin in our day and time that is, well, I say the adulterous woman, I mean, today we are, uh, we seem to be filling up the wrath of God with lesbianism and homosexuality. 
all kinds of sexual sins and whatnot, but it would fall under this category of this sexually immoral person, right? It would apply to that. It would branch out from this and it would apply to these other situations and circumstances. Well, what does it say about this woman, this adulterous woman? Well, first of all, look at verse 16. It says, to deliver you, again, there's that word deliverance, right? To deliver you from the strange woman. She's called strange. Why is she called strange? She's called strange because she's not a believer. She's a foreigner to the ways of God, and the text tells us so. She's apostate. She's walked away from the covenant of her God. You might say that notice these attributes that she possesses. She's a flatterer with her words. She uses her word to separate people or to separate people from good things or to separate people from honorable and lawful things, husbands and wives and whatnot. Notice in verse 17, she leaves the companion of her youth. What does it mean there? Well, it means she's, a, she's, a, she's not a promise keeper. She doesn't mind breaking her promises. And she didn't mind breaking her oath. Vows don't mean anything to her. If her vow does not mean anything to her, do you think your vows would mean anything to her? No. She forgets the covenant of her God. Now that word forget has an interesting, carries an interesting idea. It can mean forget. It can also mean doesn't care, which I think is more appropriate. She doesn't care about the covenant she made with God. She has no problem even if she professes God, she has no problem doing the opposite of what her God wants. And in that sense, she forgets her God. She doesn't care about God and she doesn't care about holy things. It's not on her mind about going to church and taking the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. She doesn't care about those things. They mean nothing to her. And she doesn't care that her victim likes those things. It doesn't matter to her. She doesn't care whether you're religious or not. She's a predator. These sexually immoral people oftentimes are predators. And that's what we see in our culture today. That's what we see among a lot of young people just using one another. I'm not going to get graphic about it, but I know you can fill in the blanks. They are They're nothing more than using one another. Notice the destruction of this lifestyle. Notice the danger. Well, first of all, it's dangerous to forget God. It's dangerous not to care about God and not to care about holy things. And verse 18 emphasizes that for her house, not, now notice, not just her, her house sinks down to death. Not just her, those in her house. Her house does this. She's so evil, she's so wicked, she taints everybody that's in her house. It doesn't matter if it's male, female, it doesn't matter. This type of person and this type of sin is a very dangerous and destructive person. That's why when parents find their children in that kind of situation, particularly young adult children who can live on their own and whatnot, and even sometimes when they're not able to live on their own, when they're, when they're not contrite over these sins, when they refuse to repent and amend their ways, they are what? Taken out of the house. Why? Because you don't want it to pollute and contaminate the other children in the house the other people in the house. Her house sinks down to what? Death. Her tracks lead to the dead. Notice that the house sinks down to this place. What is this place called? This place is called death. 
want you to picture almost a picture of even hell itself. It's the place of death. But what's in this place of death? What do you find in a place of death? Dead people. What do you find in a graveyard? The dead. And that's what the proverbial father is helping us understand. He's given us the whole picture. He's given this picture to his son so his son doesn't become the victim of such a predator. Her tracks lead to the dead, meaning if you follow her to this place, you will become dead. Now notice how it increases in verse 19. This is pretty graphic. It is such a warning to us. None who go to her return again. Nor do they reach the paths of life. You can say, well, Pastor Jess, are you telling me that anybody that commits adultery cannot return back to the Lord? What I'm telling you, beloved, is this. Scripture is written in such an emphatic way to put such a fear in us over some sins. They are written as an emphatic ending. This is where this sin takes you. Can there be repentance? David is an example of that. Saul is an example, or Solomon, rather, is an example of that. But, beloved, listen to me. For the thousand who come back from the place of death, are there not a million who remain there dead that didn't come back? They not only lose their families, often their jobs, they lose their soul. Immorality, sexual immorality is a dangerous, dangerous sin. And we must be on the watch for it. In our day and time, I mean, with all, oh my goodness, with all of the depravity going on around us, it's, I mean, it's hard to go out in public and come back home and not have to take a shower and, and read the Word just to clean your body and your soul. So what's going to preserve us? Wisdom and discretion. A love for God and His truth. Beloved, this may sound simplistic to you, but this is the sword of the Spirit. This is the sword of the Spirit that wields that righteousness that we need in order to put to death our own lusts so that we can see clearly to discern and to judge with all that's going on around us so that we don't fall into these traps and entangle ourselves in them. And listen, beloved, let's just say, let's just say, I mean, again, it's written in such an emphatic way that none of us would ever say, well, I think I could toy around with it and probably, you know, I think I could just bust out of that place of death. You know, it might affect them, it doesn't affect me. Well, you're a fool. That's not the way it's written. It's written in the emphatic sense that this is what's going to happen. If you go here, this is what you're going to be. And we should as what? Full of the Spirit go, oh, God, spare me from that. <coughs> spare me from that. Because apart from God's grace, God's power, God's spirits, God's wisdom, God's discretion, there we are, right? There we are. They do not reach the paths of life. But let's just say a person, a man, woman makes it back. It's been my experience 
in counseling some of these families, these marriages, oftentimes do you know it robs them of years, years of their life? This is not a month thing. This is not a week. This is years of falling and falling and falling and falling and falling Loss after loss after loss after loss. I've seen, I've seen men and women get caught up in this type of sin. Five, six years and see them and not recognize them because of the effect of that sin and that guilt and that sorrow and that misery that had on them. It's not healthy. It's not living. It's not righteous. I'd not even recognize them. And they walked up to me in the grocery store and introduced, I was like, who is this person? You remember me? You counseled us, blah, Oh, wow. Wow. Age 20 years and five. That's what sin does. It's destructive. And it robs us of the vitality of life. And if we're not careful, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lesson tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction, your admonition. It's light. It's heat. Father, I pray that we would accept it and and take it to our hearts. I pray, O Lord, that you would make all of us here tonight wise and discerning. Lord, that we would walk this well-trodden path of righteousness. Lord, that we would learn to exercise justice and um, equity. Lord, that we would have no desire whatsoever to leave this good path, but in all of our days, in all of our days, Lord, however many there are ahead of us, that we would truly be lovers of God and lovers of the truth. Lord, we would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that we would even help one another. Lord, we pray for one another, we would aid one another, we would encourage each other, and that we would walk with one another. Lord, if we find ourselves or one of our brothers and our sisters needing help, Lord, let us come to help rescue them out of these evil paths. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.